Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. I'm Oge Chibo. And I'm Emma Metter. And today, for Ian Bukta. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in the field of public health and outside of it. Oge, what are we talking about today? So we're back in with an episode on One Health. One Health is how we monitor and combat infectious diseases in all populations, human or animal. As we found out recently in the COVID-19 outbreak, diseases of animals can quickly become our problem. And so we should pay attention to them and have a plan. One Health as a field does just that. And in order to do that, I sat down with Karai Mahachi a One Health researcher and a PhD student at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Karai and I talked about what One Health is, why it's important, and how it relates to everything on everyone's mind, COVID-19. All right, here's the interview. My name is Karai Mahachi, and I am a third-year PhD student in the Department of Epidemiology, and my focus is on infectious diseases with a particular interest in tick-borne diseases. So then would you be able to tell us what the One Health model is and why it matters? Yeah, so the One Health model is a transdisciplinary model that hopes to bring together experts from healthcare, so doctors, nurses, public health, so epidemiologists, and then veterinary health, um, in veterinary health, so veterinarians, and then environmental health, so occupational environmental um, experts, basically to try to uh, understand and protect us from disease, right? So we're, we're mm-hmm. all working together to better understand the relationship between people, animals, and places in relationship to how those affect diseases and the exposures we get. So the One Health story on everyone's mind right now is COVID-19. What are some other examples of reasons to care about this One Health model? Oh, well, there's a ton of examples. I actually just went to a um, short online video about it or on live talk about it. But basically, um, a good example of one is tick-borne diseases, which is what I focus on. So Lyme disease, for example, is a disease that jumps from a mouse to a tick to a person. Um, And so then trying to understand the role of the tick in this disease, the role of the mouse in this, and then the role of the environment plays in both the tick and the mouse when we think about it in terms of us getting it or our pets getting it is really helpful. And so trying to do that from a One Health approach gives us a more um, holistic ecosystem view of the disease and it allows us to come up with innovative um, ways to prevent the disease, such as developing vaccines that target the ticks in the environments rather than um, just trying to protect people by telling them not to get infected. Mm-hmm. So going off that your work is mostly focused on ticks, how can we apply One Health to tick-borne illness? Well, yeah, so I kind of just mentioned a bit about it, but the um, other good examples is just thinking about how things like climate change are going to affect ticks and how that's going to affect tick-borne disease in both people and the pets we own. So that's a really important one to do. And bringing in not just an environmental expert, but a veterinarian to tell us a bit about how the pets we own Mm -hmm. are sort of bringing in these diseases or how we share those exposures and how that shared exposure might help us better understand how to prevent it is really important. So so, sort of like, so using that One Health approach is really helpful in, in sort of exploring that relationship. So going off of that, where do you think One Health is going as a field? Oh, that's a good question. So One Health is, it's still, I, I would argue that it's still pretty new in its sort of development. So it's been around for a while, but it's it's been trying to sort of grow and gain more more um, influence in the world. Um, and so the CDC has it recognized on, the web, on their webpage, but 
Um, I still think we need more support and more discussion about it and mm-hmm. more incorporation of the different groups. So the one talk I went to actually suggested that maybe we need to incorporate more um, healthcare professionals in it and maybe start talking about One Health in um, sort of med school classes or healthcare classes just to bring them onto the same platform as everyone else because then if we have that shared knowledge and that community that we grow on, then we can really sort of better understand and better approach these diseases. So I think One Health needs to grow into more collaboration. Definitely. So where could someone learn more about One Health? Online. So there's a, there's a bunch of resources and there's like the One Health Initiative that is an online um, resource slash group that has been really working to bring in other professionals. And then there's actually student-run organizations. So there's a One Health organization. I think it's housed by Iowa State currently, but they do um, an event every spring every fall and they basically try to bring in people to do one health talks and and learn more about that so there's definitely lots of places to learn about it you just have to um, know who to talk to about it so COVID-19 has been on a lot of people's minds right now how could you correlate the one health model into this outbreak oh yeah so I think the best way to think about it is to think about where COVID-19 started Um, we don't really know um, necessarily what animal might be associated with the disease transmission yet but definitely knowing that the disease started at a, a live animal wet market, essentially, where there's interactions between people, the environment, and these animals um, that facilitated the, the virus, that facilitated the virus's ability to jump from an animal to a person. So if we had had a one health approach to that, maybe we would have tried to partition out that system. So try to try to have the animals enclosed in one area, and then have the people in another separate area, and then maybe try to keep the environment clean. Um, and control that. That's a, that's a really important thing to think about. Um, another example to think about, and this isn't um, the COVID nineteen, but this is an older one, would be something like Ebola, mm-hmm. where the Ebola outbreak happened because people were essentially, well, it's theorized that it was happening because people essentially got exposed by ingesting improperly prepared meat of wild animals, right? And so, if we have that one health approach. Um, in that situation, we would have tried to discourage or better mitigate mitigate how people interact with those animals. Um, and then in doing that, we, we could have prevented that huge outbreak. But um, rather than dwell on it, we should, I feel like we should learn from it. So we can definitely learn from it now and think about how we can take the lessons we learned from that and in, uh, incorporate them into our new One Health approaches. So the One Health approach overall can help healthcare professionals and any sort of disease outbreak just be better understood and better prevented and better treated and it can just help the overall health of communities and populations oh yeah for sure an interesting thing to think about and this is something that i just learned about is it also to some extent is related to um our shared exposure to environmental things so lead poisoning is a great way to think about it and i didn't know this until just really recently (laughs) but um, some researchers have been looking at how pets are affected by lead poisoning and then using that information to sort of predict or um, anticipate what might happen yeah. to a human. And so from that approach, we can think about it as like One Health protecting us from shared risks, okay. not necessarily just diseases, but just general shared risks. I think that's great. Yeah. So um, shifting directions a little bit, what is one thing that you thought you knew but later realized that you were wrong about? uh a lot of things (laughs) one thing you learn about in in like higher like grad graduate school is there's a lot of things you think you know and you don't really know um but i think one of the biggest things that surprised me was just how 
well, two things that surprised me is one, how interdisciplinary public health really is. So public health involves so many different branches. And just to name a few at our college, we've got like community and behavioral health, we've got epidemiology, we've got occupational and environmental health, we've got um, biostatistics, and then we've got um, health policy. And so like public health really goes from doctor all the way up to the policy. And we think about it on like huge community levels, huge societal levels, and that's, that's just crazy. And mm-hmm. it, that was something that really surprised me. And the other thing is just that, is how much influence public health has actually had in our lives. So something we don't always think about is the improvement of sanitation and hygiene that has really helped extend human life. And that that was a public health thing. Um, and nobody really thinks about that being a public health thing um, until you actually see the, the list of public health achievements. And then you're like, whoa, I didn't know that we did that. And so that was a major surprise to me and something that to this day I'm really proud of. Yeah, I think it's definitely overlooked a lot just how broad public health is and what impact it has on so many different populations and groups of people and honestly just everywhere in the world public health so what is one thing outside the world of public health that has interested you recently interested me recently so i'm a very avid rock climber um and rock climbing has actually it's not interested me recently it's something i've always been interested in but um i guess in relation to that is how COVID-19 has actually affected competitive rock climbing. So there's, there's big international com- com- uh, competitions that happen globally, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way rock climbing occurs, the way the competitions occur is there's multiple, there's multiple competitions for a specific category. And so that was something I really just started getting into. Um, my cousin got really into it, and so I sort of joined with him. Um, and just looking at how infectious diseases have sort of a well COVID-19 has affected those those competitions is crazy like some people are considering canceling them there was one that was supposed to happen in China really recently that I heard was getting canceled um and now people have started considering how that's going to affect the Olympics so that has been like just watching that has been fascinating and then another thing that just fascinates me is um just general economics I think that's kind of a cool thing I don't know very much about it um I think my the extent was my high school class, uh, and that was pretty much it. But I still find it very fascinating, and would love to learn more about how economics sort of works and how we use that to predict tr- financial trends and respond to different financial things. And so I think that that's something that started interest, interesting me a bit more lately. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see what implications that this outbreak is having on our society and our country and the whole world, because there's so many different aspects it's going to be affecting from the economy to the health infrastructure, just to people's overall well-being. It's yeah. going to be, it'll be very interesting. I saw this really cool uh, video about how it's affecting cultures. So there, it was trending on YouTube, on not YouTube, on Twitter. Um, but basically people had stopped shaking hands in different communities. And mm. instead of shaking hands and embracing, they would just touch shoes. And that was like an interesting change <laughs> in how people interacted. And I'm wondering how that would, like how long that would um, last and how much that would actually affect how we interact with people. Yeah, definitely. That's that's very interesting to think about. That's the new cultural norm to be touching. Yeah, right, right. Wow. Toe, foot touching. That's, <laughs> our, that's how we say hi now. Okay. That's crazy. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I think it's very insightful. Yeah, always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. So, okay, what did you think about that interview? Um, I actually felt, oh, well, I thought that One Health or just 
the whole initiative was so interesting because I've never heard of it before. So I quickly like Googled it and I saw mm -hmm. that it can be used as Karai talked about for to monitor or battle outbreaks and pandemics, just like the one we're going through right now. So I actually felt like, I was like, wow. And then when he spoke um, interdisciplinary participation, we like inviting healthcare workers into the clique, I felt like that would actually make its impact way more than it is right now. You know, since you're going to have all these physicians, nurses, actually be the ones to treat the people you might as well have them informed and have them in the decision making process so yeah that was my general scope <laughs> what about you yeah yeah i thought it was just interesting how we can correlate everything that he told us with the one health model into every public health infrastructure and it's something that public health professionals and physicians and anyone in the field can use to make their work more efficient and reach a broader spectrum of people. Mm -hmm. And the fact that a lot of uh, diseases actually come from animals, yes. I was watching, so I was watching this TED talk recently um, that's called Coronavirus is Our Future. And she was just basically explaining how we will always have outbreaks. Maybe we can reduce its impact on like having it become a pandemic if we actually create like something like One Health, I can't really remember what she called it, but she basically spoke about like One Health and being able to like share information and emergency preparedness and things like that. And how that just like as a whole, um, not even just the continent, okay, let's say the whole world, like Africa, Asia, everyone is just kind of like in this, in this sphere where we're all like sharing communicating and just making sure that this doesn't happen again or even if this happens the impact is way re or is reduced than it is right now mm -hmm. so she gave a scenario that if we think about like coronavirus instead of starting out in china what if it happened in like chad where they're like only like i can't remember how many doctors but this is like high disproportionate like ratio between doctors and yeah so things like that should just say okay what would, ha what would have happened if they could even or in places where you can identify okay there's this virus but then you don't have the resources to like combat this virus and then before anything happens it's spread it's always it's, the curve is high let me not go into too far you guys are going to talk about the curve <laughs> that's such a good way to think about it though i really like that yeah I, yeah you should watch it too it's so interesting yeah yeah, it's just called Coronavirus is Our Future. It's on YouTube. It's really accessible. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Thank you. So, um, go moving on. Oh, we're going to talk about, we're going to give a little bit of COVID-19 update. So, right now, you've probably, you guys have probably already heard the news from a million different places. But the novel coronavirus outbreak has come to the U.S. and shut down a lot of things. We're not going to talk too much about its extent of things that have been cancelled or how far it has spread, as you probably already have heard about that. Instead, we're going to talk about why the cancellations are happening and what you can do to help. Emma, mind walking us through that? Yeah, of course. First and foremost, I know you have all heard people throwing around the terms flatten the curve and social distancing, but you might not know what those mean, so let's get into it. 
Flattening the curve is a fancy way of saying slowing down the number of infections. Someone asked me recently what the curve is. What we are talking about is the rate of growth for new cases. The reason why we want to slow down infections is because the hospitals can only treat so many people at a time. If the illnesses all happen at once, it strains the hospitals. If the cases are spaced out, the hospital can handle it. It's like adding water to a bathtub in a sense. If the tap is pouring faster than faster than the drain, then it spills over. The tap are the new cases, and the drain is people going home from the hospital. Talking about social distancing, Emma, how is Florida? It's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, so I'm in Florida and I haven't been able to leave. Even with my family, we haven't left their house at all. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to go out there and be in contact with anyone. It's just not worth it mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, so exactly as Emma said, so social distancing, we're currently practicing social distancing right now and recording the pod for you guys. I'm all the way in Iowa and Emma is with her family in Florida. So the whole point of social distancing is how we flatten the curve or as Emma said, slow down the number of cases. What does it mean? It means reducing the number of risky interactions you have with other people. So to lower the risk of interactions, we work from home and have our meetings over Zoom, like right now, or shake hands less and not leaving the houses as much. Social distancing helps us slow the spread and flatten the curve. Social distancing should not be um, confused for social isolating, which I can see as interactive social beings. It gets really, really um, hard to think about like staying away from friends and family. But thank God for te technology for giving yes. us that ability to still interact with other people. My biggest struggle with social distancing is the closing of jeans. And but I'm actually grateful for all my fitness influencers and gurus on social media that have been dedicated to actually dropping new videos. Yeah, I would agree. All of my um, Instagram fitness people I follow, they've been all posting at home workouts instead of their usual like strength training stuff. So I would definitely try to just go on Instagram or YouTube and try to find those home workouts because there's so many out there right now. And I know there's some yoga studios as well providing online free classes for 30 days so mm -hmm. there's a lot of resources we can be taking advantage of right now since a lot of businesses and facilities are closing right and as ian said when i was complaining about overeating he said we'll worry about that when we're done yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so talking about food <laughs> Other things you can do are donate to your local food bank because a lot of people have lost their jobs or buy gift cards to your favorite local spots to help them maintain their cash flow mid-quarantine. For grocery stores, insist on an quote elderly hour where the first hour of shopping following the overnight's restocking and cleaning only allows people at the highest risk from this pandemic. It may not seem like a lot, but because the elderly are so much less likely to be asymptomatic carriers, this social intervention can truly be impactful. And I think they're doing, um, I've actually heard of a lot of grocery stores doing this, and it's not only for the elderly, but it's also for those immunocompromised, those people with weakened immune systems. So I would just check the local news and papers and see what places around you are offering that because I know it is happening right now. 
and if anyone is in a position yes to actually help even if it's not elderly hour and you see an elderly person who needs groceries maybe your neighbor or something and there's any word any way they can give you um money or you can help i don't know to do the groceries without really like physical contact i think it would be best if we could help in any way that we can any way shape or form because as you said they're like highly vulnerable to this new virus or new disease that is spreading around finally we want to talk about mental health and leave space for people to be angry a lot of people are canceling plans sports are canceled the semester is canceled the list goes on and on this is not fun and that's okay to be frustrated with the situation take some time to grieve the fact that the next few months may not look the way you thought they would being isolated from the disease might protect us physically but it can really be hard on people emotionally. So take time to make sure you're okay and reach out to people if you need help. And definitely don't forget to reach out to others to check if they're all good. This isn't going to be a fun time, but if we work together and are kind to one another, we can make the best of it. Yeah, I know these times are really hard, but I think it's been really vital and important just to write down everything that you're grateful for and ways you can use this quarantine time where you're being isolated just to do things that you wouldn't usually be able to do like focus on your mental health and engage in hobbies that you've lost and to reach out to loved ones and friends you haven't talked to in a long time so it's really really hard but it's really hard for everyone and there's things we can be doing to make this time worthwhile I think definitely definitely you guys okay so thank you to all of you who are still going on in to work to stock food drive trucks work in hospitals professional cleaners home health aides people who work with their hands first responders or are in public health there are many more who we haven't called out as well but those who are keeping society going and going into work are heroes and we appreciate them yes all of us to you we say a huge thank you thank you so much yes and all right, that's it for this week. Let us know what you thought about this episode in series at cphgradambassador at uiowa.edu. That's capital CPH-capital G grad capital A ambassador at uiowa.edu. You can find us on Facebook at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We're on iTunes and Spotify as well as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. This episode of From the Front Row was hosted by Emma Metter and Oge Shibo. Ian Bukta produced and edited this episode. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. See you next week!